0: Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shawna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. This week, we're talking about being a lifelong learner. We're in this thing for the long haul and just want to keep adding stuff to our tool belt.
1: (laughs) And Steve Norman is joining us this morning. He's a pastor, award-winning author, speaker, and a coach. At Winning at Home. And in this whole conversation about being a lifelong learner, we started talking yesterday about how, you know, the word disciple means learner. And so to choose to follow Jesus means to always be learning. But as we follow Jesus, it's important to note that Jesus himself was a learner.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I love that passage in Luke 2. A lot of times we hear about how Jesus and his family went to the temple when he was 12 and everything was so crazy at the festival. They left without him. They couldn't find him. They're looking for him for three days and they come back. And what is he doing? He's at the temple and it says that he is listening to the teachers of the law and asking them questions. Mm -hmm. And I had never noticed that before. I kind of thought that Jesus was kind of schooling the teachers of the law (laughs) and what was right because he already knew all the answers. And I love it that Jesus is humble enough at age 12, even though he's God incarnate, to engage in a learning conversation with people um, who care about the same things that he cares about.
1: Mm. He was a master question asker. I mean, in general, he he asked the right question to bring about, you know, information to kind of open up doors to be able to speak about what he knew. But yeah, it started with the learning posture.
2: And what I appreciate about the questions that Jesus asks here is maybe Jesus isn't asking them questions about the text because Jesus, as God wrote the text. Right. But maybe to your point, he's asking them questions about them. How do you see this? Mm, what do you yeah. feel when you hear this? Where? What are you supposed to do as a result of this? So maybe Jesus isn't so much learning about the Torah as he is learning about the
0: teachers. Mm. And I'm sure that he was showing a lot of respect too. Absolutely. By the questions that he asked, I'm sure he was making them feel good about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus was always drawing people in to dialogue rather than just
2: kind of standing above or over people and yelling at them or scolding them or demeaning them or shaming them. Jesus was always trying to trying to engage them and saying like, what is God trying to say?
1: Right. I mean, even as a as a teacher, we see him always using what was what would strike the hearts of the people who are listening and part of being able to do that means that you listen first. Right. Does that make sense? So if he was talking to fishermen, he talked about fish, so like come with, you know, follow me. Yep. I'll make you fishers of men. If he was talking to the women at the well, he was talking about water. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he he was always making it pertinent to what would make sense to them. And so part of being able to deliver that way is listening in the first place.
0: And, you know, I think this is really important when it comes to talking with people who aren't yet following Jesus, you know, asking questions and listening. I was at my my buddy's 60th birthday, surprise birthday party this last Saturday in Sheboygan, Michigan, and uh, his nickname is Bimmer. And I've told a lot of stories about Bimmer on the, on the radio because we just had a blast growing up. But at any rate, I got talking with one of his college roommates who had been a police officer, a state policeman for 25 years and a guy with just a really winsome guy with lots of strong opinions about religion and politics, which was really cool. So I just, I listened, I listened, I listened, I listened to his views about God. And there were a lot of things that he said that I could have interrupted and, you know, sort of tried to refute or get into a debate, but I just sat and listened and listened and I listened because... I didn't know what the best word to share was. Yeah. So I had to be sensitive to all this guy was saying. And then at the end, it came down to well, one of the things he said, I don't believe in miracles. Yeah, And I said, well, at the very end, after I listened to all this stuff, I said, I want to share with you something that you don't believe in. And he said, you're going to tell me about a miracle, aren't you? And a miracle of my ankle being healed is part of my story and how Jesus changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And that's where I landed on just a simple, God showed me his love in all the ugliness of my heart by healing my ankle. Yeah. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation, but it took a lot of listening and it's hard to to just listen because... You feel like you're not making an impact. You know, you feel like you've got to be, you know, like I don't know, some great evangelist in this setting where there's all these people who really aren't on the same page with you with Jesus. But I think that listening was the best course to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I had a great counselor once who said, Steve, when you're stuck, ask yourself these two questions. Is it true? The thing that I believe right now, is that true? Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up question is, what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it, many of the things that I believe aren't true. I had a friend who had a sticker on her fridge that said, don't believe everything you think. Mm. And that was a great reminder. And that's mm-hmm. why scripture is such a gift to us because it's it, it's a plumb line. It's a baseline. It's it's kind of like a level that says this, this is true. And so it's so important for me to be learning in community so other people can help me discern the truth of scripture together. And I'm not just kind of bending verses to my agenda for that day or that season of my life.
1: Some of the wisest people I know and that I care for and respect the most, the people that I want to listen to the best are some of the best listeners I've ever met in my life.
0: Talking about being a lifelong learner, and one of the things I want to continue to learn is how to love God with all my mind. But what does that look like? We're going to dive into that.
1: Steve Norman is a pastor, award-winning author, speaker, coach at Winning at Home, and he's with us this morning as we're talking about being a lifelong learner. So in regards to that scripture, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What does that look like to love
2: God with your mind? I think part of it is that we come to every conversation with curiosity to be able to say, hey, there's something about this topic or there's something about this question that I don't yet know. Can I humble myself enough to be willing to learn? I heard somebody say once, if you find that you're the smartest person in the room, turn around and make sure that you're not in a closet hmm. but because nice. the, because the truth is you can be an expert in any one domain, but you're never an expert in all of the domains. And yes. if you think that you're an expert in all of the domains, then the Lord has some humbling that he needs to do with you and around you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sometimes in Christianity, we can be so concerned about making sure that we're able to defend our worldview, that we can be skittish about learning things that we don't agree with. Yeah, And there are certain fields that we might kind of hold at bay and We're not, I will not offer an opinion on this, but right now there's a lot of debate about like what medical or science experts we can trust these days. And I think that there's some people who are like, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to close my ears and shut my eyes and not listen to anything that I don't already agree with. Mm. And I think that Jesus debated people all the time. Or Jesus was like, "Oh, you've got a counterpoint. I'll, I'll I'll hear your counterpoint, and then let's talk about it." Where did that come from? How did you arrive at this conclusion? What are the implications of that conclusion for you or for me? Should I embrace it?
0: Yeah, it's we're living in an echo chamber in these days. We're yeah. we're unwilling to get out of our echo chamber to listen to the other side. Right.
2: And, and I think one of the things for me, so my my degree is in missiology, tried to learn yeah. how to, to how to take the gospel across boundaries and barriers. Mm-hmm. My dad came to faith hearing Billy Graham speak when he was a student at Stanford, and my dad was an intellectual skeptic. He went on to get his master's in engineering at Purdue, and then ultimately get his PhD in engineering. So wow. my dad, as a col- as a when he finished his graduate programs, was actually um, working with NASA on the Saturn V rockets. So I joke oh, wow. with people like I'm not a rocket scientist, but my dad. Dad was. And so my dad was interfacing with people who are not people of faith on a regular basis because they had heard somewhere along the way that if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, you had to check your brain and your intellect at the door. That's never been true. And that's a myth that I think that when we choose to love God with all of our mind, mm-hmm. we we can counter that mistruth and open the door for intellectuals and skeptics to take a step towards Jesus.
1: Well I think you know God is the creator of everything. And so what would you know what an honor of him to be curious about Everything, Right. Right. What a worship experience to actually be curious.
2: Yeah. So I went to a Christian liberal arts college and I remember our, uh, our president saying at one of our chapels, he goes, we don't have to be afraid that something's going to jump out from underneath a rock and eat God. Mm-hmm. He goes, we, we can explore intellectually. He's like, because we do believe that God really is above all and is in all and is through all. And he goes, and if something does jump out from underneath it, a rock and eat God, he goes, then we should bow down and worship that. He goes, but I'm pretty confident that that's never going to happen. <laughs> and so the good news is we can say like, I, Jesus is on the throne, yeah. no matter what ideas might scare or intimidate us. And if all truth is God's truth and the truth sets us free, that we don't, we don't have to be afraid of learning.
1: And what we understand about who God is, isn't the justification needed for him to be him. Right. So if I don't know the answers, that doesn't mean, oh no, God's not defendable. It means I don't know the answer. Right. And I think that is probably one of the things that keeps us, makes us maybe want to close our eyes or plug our ears to other viewpoints is the idea that I actually might not have um, a response that feels justifiable. Yeah. And so it's more about me than it is about who God is.
0: Right. Yeah. I grew up in a really a charismatic kind of environment. So I learned and I, and I really appreciate that because, you know, I gained a lot of experience with the Holy spirit, yeah. but I learned to love God with all my feelings. Yeah. With all my experience. Yeah. And that came back to, to haunt me or to bite me because you know, when I hit a place in my life with depression, when I didn't feel God's presence, I thought I was cut off from God. right? And then I began to realize that, you know, a counselor helped me realize you love God with your mind. He asked me the question, what is faith? And faith is really what we know and what we have come to be convinced of with our minds and what we choose to believe based on what we know. And emotions are not in that equation. Emotions are important. The experience of God, I believe in the presence of God, but truth comes from the mind to a decision of the heart and feelings follow.
2: Absolutely. And I'm I'm so glad that you had an experience with somebody who had learned to love God with their mind Mm -hmm. in the field of psychology or the field of domain of mental health or psychiatry to be able to say, this is valid data. Mm -hmm. These are amazing tools that God has given us to help us walk with him.
0: Mm So now I'm only able to put all that together, you know, and I'm learning. Sure. I'm learning to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, that's, it's a lifelong process because I'm never going to quite get there.
1: We have this conversation about being a lifelong learner, you know, I have a long commute and a lot of times I will use that commute to listen to teachings. I love to pull up different pastors on YouTube and listen to different teachings, but there are some, there's some wacky ideas out there. There are some, um, Bible teachers who will bring about ideas that don't line up with scripture. Right. So how do we, how do we continue to learn and continue to engage and Keep our compass
2: on what is biblical and what is true.
0: Yeah, I think there's uh, a... Could you pull up the passage? Yeah, I got it. I got it. Acts 17, 10 through 12. Paul's on his second missionary journey. Yeah. And he's in Berea. And it says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. I think he was in... Thessalonica. Yeah, they were fle- fleeing from danger, right? So yeah. They were smuggling them out of town. Getting beat up everywhere they went. For sure. So come to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But this examining the scriptures.
2: I love it. It said they're curious. They're, yeah. They are lifelong learners. They're open to new truth and new ideas, but they didn't just swallow them hook, line, and sinker. It mm-hmm. says that they check them daily against the scriptures. And sometimes when I read the New Testament, I forget that the people who are being talked about don't have the New Testament yet. Yeah. So when the Berean Jews are checking Paul's message about Jesus, they're checking it against the Old Testament scriptures that never explicitly mention Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Paul is saying, here's how we know from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And then the Bereans, after the session was over, they would go home and do their own self-directed homework and say, Paul is making this claim. He used this verse to make that claim. I'm going to go back and read that verse in context Mm -hmm. and see if it affirms or contradicts what Paul is saying. Mm. And I think that some of us, especially when we're new in our spiritual journeys, we're just like sponges. We'll soak up anything. But because we maybe haven't had a regular consistent focused diet of scripture intake. We don't, we don't even know what the baseline that we should be comparing things to. If we don't have like a solid biblical foundation, it's hard for us to know what to do with all these random tidbits of information that come across.
0: I love this idea of how they were, as you mentioned, they were searching the Hebrew scriptures to see if what Paul was saying about Jesus as Messiah was true. Yeah. So I would imagine that maybe they had gone to Genesis 3:15, you know, yeah. the the serpent will be crushed the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and that perhaps they went to Genesis 12 that through Abraham right all the peoples of the world would be blessed or Psalm 22 which talks about the sufferings of Jesus or Isaiah 53 they were able to go to all those passages that I'm sure Paul talked about some of those passages yeah and I think for in my own journey I've learned that I don't pick up the scriptures when I have to answer
2: a question I pick up the scriptures as an avenue to connect with God Mm -hmm. I pick up the scriptures as as an avenue to learn his character and to create space in my own mind and heart to receive directly from the Holy Spirit, just like you talked about earlier in the show about having the Spirit direct you to a very specific issue in your life through a very specific verse in Galatians. I think God does that not every day, but God does that more often than not Mm -hmm. when we look for him in the scriptures. Somebody once said that when they teach new bank tellers to look for counterfeit money, they don't show them a lot of counterfeit money. They just have them examine actual bills and they spend a lot of times focusing on like, this is what a real $20 bill looks like. So when a false $20 bill comes across, they go, Oh, something feels off. Mm -hmm. So I think that with Sean, to your point, we don't, we shouldn't like dive all the way into heresies. We should dive all the way into orthodoxy. We should dive all the way into the historic truth of scripture. And the more time we spend there, the more we'll hear something else and we'll be like, that feels off. Right. I'm going to follow up. So just this last week, I heard a worship song that made me feel like super fuzzy, hmm. but there was a line in there that I went like, I don't think that's true.
0: Was the lyric, I'm going to pull heaven down?
2: No, it wasn't that one. But and again, like, I don't, I don't even know the artist. I think this is the first time I'd heard this one. And what they were trying to say is like, Jesus um, accepts us where we are. That is a true statement. We, you know, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's a sick. Right. I'm here for broken people. But then he said this, he goes, he never asks us to be perfect. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. Mm. In the Sermon on the Mount, mm. Jesus says, be, be perfect, perfect. Mm. as my father is perfect. Yeah. Right. Now we might need to do some exploration to be able to say like, what the exactly context. does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to be able to say like, oh, Jesus finds us. I heard a preacher say once, Jesus finds us where we are but he doesn't leave us where we are. We get to come as we are, but we don't get to leave as we came. Mm -hmm. That the call to holiness Mm -hmm. is a through line from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So I understand what I think the artist was trying to go for, but there was a part in that argument that collapsed Mm -hmm. under the weight of Jesus' invitation
0: to holiness. They should have put a little more time in that songwriting session.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that, you know, I think that there are probably places like that that exist for all of us where we have, have maybe heard a message and believed it to be true without having checked it against scripture. And it might have even made its way into our belief system. And so being diving into scripture is a way of being able to test what we're being taught, but it's also, it causes us to collide with our own belief system. And so like regularly being in God's word, Jesus is the word. He is the truth. And so the truth is in you and the Holy spirit is going to, either resonate this is true or put up a red flag this might not be true I had a really good friend who I was working with who had said you know to me one day and she genuinely meant this there was a confrontation and she explained the way she handled it and she said I live by the golden rule do to others what they've done to you and I was (laughs) like
2: that's Mm -hmm. not the golden rule
1: (laughs) you know but it had she had heard it it sounded good And she had embraced it as a way of living life.
2: Yeah. And I think that so many of us grew up in maybe church environments or exposed to church environments that felt super condemning that the pendulum has swung a little bit wide to be able to say like, hey, it's all good and you're all good and live your truth and be who you are and you're loved without condition. And parts of that are true, but the invitation to change and to be transformed is often compromised in that equation. And I think it's so important for us to just come back to say like Jesus desires for us to look like him.
0: Mm -hmm. So here's one. Yeah. Be the best version of yourself. I need to, I think we need to check that one, examine that one in light of the scripture. So I'm going to put this on us. I'm going to put the application on us. You know, what we share on Perry and Shawna mornings don't take as the gospel truth. Take what we say and measure it against scripture because we're not infallible. We're not flawless. So measure everything that is claimed with the word. You and I are lifetime learners as we follow Jesus. And one of the things we need to learn is to be better at discerning truth claims and examining those claims against the Bible. It's so important to do this. And we just want to dip our toe into this again. So, on Paul's second missionary journey, he went into Berea, and the Bereans were noble because they listened to what Paul said. And then they went back to the Hebrew scriptures to see if what he was saying was true about Jesus. So there's that nobility of being discerning about truth claims. But I don't know about you, Steve. I've run into a lot of spiritual Bible police officers in my Mm -hmm. life who think they know it all and... I probably got a little bit of that myself, come to think of it. So how do we strike that balance in being someone who examines truth claims, but doesn't get into, hey, I'm a spiritual police officer, and I know what I know what I know. You're wrong. I'm right. Yeah. I think that one of the great themes that we find in the scriptures, we
2: just talked about this with the church in Berea, and then we also find it with the church in Jerusalem. When they examine truth claims, they examine them together. Mm -hmm. So nobody was kind of studying the scriptures in a vacuum. Like back in the day, I keep forgetting that a scroll was a very rare document. Mm -hmm. And so Jewish communities, synagogues would read them in community. And so the whole idea that we have our individual Bibles or that we can have apps or devices that allow us to fit the entire Bible and multiple translations in our hand and read on our own or listen to on our own in our car is a very, very modern, very recent development. Mm -hmm. And the church throughout history has read the scriptures in circles Mm -hmm. to be able to say, Lord, will you illuminate this passage to us in this unique moment in history in our specific context? Mm. The scripture says about itself, that it is living and active. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the truth claims of the scriptures never change, but the way that a scripture can be applied in a particular context can flex and stretch and grow and expand based on who is experiencing it, what culture they're in, and what what challenges they're facing in that unique moment in human history. Mm-hmm. So not only is there the capacity, but there's a, a mandate to interpret the scripture together.
0: Yeah, that is so good. So I need to always be saying, you know what, I might be wrong about this. Right. I might be wrong about my conclusion, even though I have examined this truth claim against the scripture, and it's going to be somebody else in the family of God that I am walking with that can push back and say, no, I think you're you're right, or no, I think you got it wrong there. Right. You and I are lifetime learners as we follow Jesus, and one of the things we need to learn is to be better at discerning truth claims and examining those claims against the Bible. It's so important to do this, and we just want to dip our toe into this again. So on Paul's second missionary journey, he went into Berea, and the Bereans were noble because they listened to what Paul said and And then they went back to the Hebrew scriptures to see if what he was saying was true about Jesus. So there's that nobility of being discerning about truth claims. But I don't know about you, Steve. I've run into a lot of spiritual Bible police officers in my Mm -hmm. life who think they know it all and... I probably got a little bit of that myself, come to think of it. So how do we strike that balance in being someone who examines truth claims, but doesn't get into, hey, I'm a spiritual police officer, and I know what I know what I know. You're wrong. I'm right. Yeah. I think that one of the great themes that we find in the scriptures, we just talked about this with the church
2: in Berea, and then we also find it with the church in Jerusalem. When they examine truth claims, they examine them together. So Mm -hmm. nobody was kind of studying the scriptures in a vacuum. Like back in the day, I keep forgetting that a scroll was a very rare document. Mm -hmm. And so Jewish communities, synagogues would read them in community. And so the whole idea that we have our individual Bibles or that we can have apps or devices that allow us to fit the entire Bible and multiple translations in our hand and read on our own or listen to on our own in our car is a very, very modern, very recent development. Mm -hmm. And the church throughout history has read the scriptures in circles Mm -hmm. to be able to say, Lord, will you illuminate this passage to us in this unique moment in history in our specific context? Mm. The scripture says about itself, that it is living and active. Mm-hmm. So I believe that the truth claims of the scriptures never change, but the way that a scripture can be applied in a particular context can flex and stretch and grow and expand based on who is experiencing it, what culture they're in and what what challenges they're facing in that unique moment in human history. Mm-hmm. So not only is there the capacity, but there's a, a mandate to interpret the scripture together.
0: Yeah, that is so good. So I need to always be saying, you know what? I might be wrong about this. Right. I might be wrong about my conclusion, even though I have examined this truth claim against the scripture and it's going to be somebody else in the family of God that I am walking with that can push back and say, no, I think you're, you're right. Or no, I think you got it wrong there. Right. You and me call into this lifetime of learning And one of the things we need to continue to learn, we need to be a student of our culture, because if we don't understand our culture, if we're not a student of our culture, we're not going to know how to address our culture with the truth of the gospel. So we're going to talk about that. So Paul is such a great example of learning from culture. And in particular, he was in Athens on his second missionary journey, and he's talking with these philosophers.
2: Yeah. And I love that verse 21 in Acts 18 says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. <laughs> so they just, they, they got, they got a little buzz over mm-hmm. talking about like, Hey, what are people in Italy talking about these days? And, and why I heard about this story from this person, this philosophy here, and they were kind of this clearinghouse for all these weird new doctrines and religions and ideas. And in order for Paul to be able to converse with them, Paul actually needed to be tuned in to what the latest ideas that they were debating about were happening. And then so Paul also not only— Kind of knew about the cultural themes, but he knew about specifics in Athens. He had actually witnessed an altar that was created to an unknown God. So Paul is able to talk about ideas, and then he's also able to talk about contextual landmarks and tie those together to be able to say, based on the things that you care about and based on the place that you live in, I am going to leverage those as tools to start a conversation to talk about a Jesus that you don't know and might not have any interest in.
0: Mm-hmm. And in his conversation, at the Areopagus with all these philosophers he's quoting their poets right so he's he's read their literature
2: Yeah. And he's quoting their poets correctly. I might add like that's It's one thing to know somebody's idea. It's another thing to be able to interpret their idea and uh, talk about in a manner that's credible to people who already hold that worldview. I was doing a job in the marketplace. One of the last times I was here and I met with a colleague who is not a person of faith. And I said, Hey, tell me what you think. Like, what do you believe about the world? And she said, Hey, here's a 400 page book on human secularism by a scholar that has been important to me. And I said, well, I'll read it. Mm-hmm. And I, if I really wanted to engage her on her terms, I had to slog through this book that was not <laughs> a book that ever would have appeared on my reading sure. list. But when I was done with it, I was able to have conversations with her in ways that I would not have been able to engage her before. Mm-hmm. And if That's... I cared about her, I had to say, L- show me your world, you, right. so I can understand where you're coming from.
1: That's so good on a personal level, but also speaks to what we're experiencing communally as far as, you know, what, other people are experiencing and thinking right now for us to have an understanding of what their experience is. We can come alongside them. So instead of standing in front of them and telling them what is right, we can come alongside them in their experience, you know, as a, as a co, right. right? And look at it together and have conversations.
2: Right. And I think the truth is, especially when we encounter somebody who has a worldview that is different than us, it's, it's very rare that 100% of their worldview is wrong. And if we can find that 2% or the 4% or the 8% where we overlap, Mm -hmm. we can celebrate things that they believe that we believe are God honoring and that are anchored in scripture. And we start with that and then we can move our way forward into the, maybe the sticky parts.
0: Someone once said to me that we need to build a bridge of trust strong enough to hold the weight of the truth. Right. And one of the ways we build that bridge of trust is by Understanding the ideas that our friends have who aren't on the same page with us spiritually. That's what I hear you saying. Absolutely. And I think that the more we walk with Jesus, truth isn't a concept, it's a person. You and me call into this lifetime of learning. And one of the things we need to continue to learn, we need to be a student of our culture. Because if we don't understand our culture, if we're not a student of our culture, we're not going to know how to address our culture with the truth of the gospel. So we're going to talk about that. So Paul is such a great example of learning from culture. And in particular, he was in Athens on his second missionary journey, and he's talking with these philosophers.
2: Yeah, and I love that verse twenty-one in Acts eighteen says all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. <laughs> so they just they they got they got a little buzz over mm-hmm. talking about like hey what are people in Italy talking about these days and and I heard about this story from this person this philosophy here and they were kind of this clearinghouse for all these weird new doctrines and religions and ideas and in order for Paul to be able to converse with them Paul actually needed to be tuned in to what the latest ideas that they were debating about were happening. And then so Paul also not only kind of knew about the cultural themes, but he knew about specifics in Athens. He had actually witnessed an altar that was created to an unknown God. So Paul is able to talk about ideas and then he's also able to talk about contextual landmarks and tie those together to be able to say, based on the things that you care about, and based on the place that you live in, I am going to leverage those as tools to start a conversation to talk about a Jesus that you don't
0: know and might not have any interest in. Mm-hmm. And in his conversation at the Areopagus with all these philosophers, he's quoting their poets. Right. So he's he's read their literature.
2: Yeah. And he's quoting their poets correctly. I might add like that's It's one thing to know somebody's idea. It's another thing to be able to interpret their idea and uh, talk about in a manner that's credible to people who already hold that worldview. I was doing a job in the marketplace. One of the last times I was here and I met with a colleague who is not a person of faith. And I said, Hey, tell me what you think. Like, what do you believe about the world? And she said, Hey, here's a 400 page book on human secularism by a scholar that has been important to me. And I said, well, I'll read it. Mm -hmm. And I, if I really wanted to engage her on her terms, I had to slog through this book that was not (laughs) a book that ever would have appeared on my reading list. But when I was done with it, I was able to have conversations with her in ways that I would not have been able to engage her before. Mm -hmm. And if I cared about her, I had to say, show me your worldview so I can understand where you're coming from.
1: That's so good on a personal level, but also speaks to what we're experiencing communally as far as, you know, what, other people are experiencing and thinking right now for us to have an understanding of what their experience is. We can come alongside them. So instead of standing in front of them and telling them what is right, we can come alongside them in their experience, you know, as a, as a co, right. right? And look at it together and have conversations.
2: Right. And I think the truth is, especially when we encounter somebody who has a worldview that is different than us, it's, it's very rare that 100% of their worldview is wrong. And if we can find that 2% or the 4% or the 8% where we overlap, Mm -hmm. we can celebrate things that they believe
0: that we believe are God-honoring and that are
2: anchored in Scripture. And we start with that, and then we can move our way forward into the maybe the sticky parts.
0: Someone once said to me that we need to build a bridge of trust strong enough to hold the weight of the truth. That's right. And one of the ways we build that bridge of trust is by understanding the ideas that our friends have who aren't on the same page with us spiritually. That's what I hear you saying. Absolutely. And I think that the more we walk with Jesus, truth isn't a concept, it's a person.
2: Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna
0: replay to learn more. Text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.